0: All right, so here we are today with Renee Urbanovich, the author of The Creativity Conundrum. And she's going to be, we're we're actually, both of us are going to be diving into the research in this book that's all about creativity, um, why it exists, why we have the creative drive, um, and how to incorporate it into our lives. So today is going to be all about exploring the creative drive and kind of the the questions behind the the book that were the impetus for Renee to do this work. Um,
1: So with that, um, Renee, why don't you go ahead and introduce yourself? Sure. Hi, Crystal. Um, I'm Renee, and we have been meeting for about 16 months, Crystal and I have been. And off the cuff, we've just been discussing creativity because we both have a passion for it and um it's been really fun we've come up with a lot of synchronistic moments and, and discoveries and what happened was as we kept doing it i finally thought i really want to go through the book because i want to do a different format rather than just black and white ink on paper because so many people don't read so i'm um the author of the book uh, creativity connection conundrum i crossed out connection and we discuss in the book a big conundrum in our culture today about why, the way we do creativity. And um, so we're going to explore the whole book and hopefully um, re-envision what we think creativity is and how we engage with it and what we give to the larger world. Um, we'll focus on the precepts and everything as we go. So the first chapter is the um you know, I introduce myself, that's the preface. And then the second chapter is premise, and we explore what, what what is this drive, what is this creative drive we have. So um Crystal and I have talked about it over over the Instagram lives, but um, in the chat in the first chapter I talk about this time in the eighties where I'm driving with my brother Nick, and we were both raised in this wildly creative household. And um, as we were going over the hills and uh, up on the five, it was just beautiful. The sun was at that really, you know, warm moment in the afternoon and the little waves on the, on the hills were um, just stunning. And he just kind of made a mo- motion like, uh, and I was like, what? And he's like, ah, I just, I ache to paint that. And I'm like, ah, I know. So I could relate to that feeling of. Ah, we want this thing, this moment to last forever. So that was one of the things that we thought um, maybe creativity is that we want to encapsulate what we experience, what we see. We want to make it concrete. And that's uh, Ayn Rand, right? And you and I have talked about Ayn Rand before. So that's how it starts off, just when you feel that urge, when you feel like, ah, I have to write, or just that moment of um, desire to do something maybe artistic or something with your hands or a garden or cooking.
0: Yeah, and I, I love how at the beginning of the chapter, at the beginning of the book, you, uh, you're questioning like, why do I have this drive when there's, you know, all the suffering in the world, there's refugees who have no homes and there's animals being mistreated and, uh, you know, poverty and all these things, um, climate change, but but why this creative drive? Like, what what, a, what does it have to do with anything? Um,
1: and why am I? Why am I? You personally driven to, to write this book about creation? Exactly. I I had to say that out loud. Why am I? I know. I knew how much work it was going to be, and I I didn't understand why I had to do it. And so, hopefully, it's to discover this immense, powerful phenomenon and interact with it and give more meaning to everything we do and and everyone in, in, on the planet. So. Exactly.
0: Yeah. And I I love that you had that question, even you know, in your own this person who's obsessed with creativity and completely validates creativity, but your own inner critic still question, like, what am I even doing this for? Yeah. And I I think that's so universal Mm -hmm. um, that we often equate creativity with luxury. um, and also with ego. Like if I express my, if I write this book or if I do whatever. It's, it's either, um, it's kind of, it's kind of uh, separated into these two categories. One is either you're this complete amazing artist that's like elevated above the rest of mankind and you're special mm-hmm. and whatever, or you're totally like obsessed with yourself and you think uh-huh. you're yeah. the greatest and that everyone should be, you know, paying attention to what you yeah. make, right? Yeah. There's those two yeah. categories, but what about just the inherent, like we're all inherently creative. You know, there's no, there isn't that assumption. And I think that's, you know, what we're going to get to in, yeah. in this
1: degree. Um, as an aside, and, you know, this is, not I didn't put this in the book, but I could have, um, my brother Nick and I, um, my brother Nick is, Dominic Domingo is a, you know, an artist who's worked for everybody. Putnam, Random, Disney, Blue Sky. I can't even say, I'll, I don't even know. He's just a very... Prolific writer and an artist, and he's also a sculptor. And um, anyway, uh, we were going to do this whole documentary idea, and he has actually surveyed his students too um, about just that very thing like, are we selfish? Is being an artist selfish? Mm-hmm. Right? And he always tells the story um, from Family Ties. I think it's in the book somewhere, but he always, I got it from him. Um, How um, Family Ties was about, you know, Michael J. Fox was like this rich, this kid who was chasing money. And so that was the brother and the sister was dating an artist, like with the leather jacket and, you know, this total artist with tattoos. And and Michael J. Fox, the the guy on the road to riches, said, well, what are you going to do with your life? Why don't you do something more important with your life, like be a doctor or something like that? And he said, what would I be saving people's lives for? Mm-hmm. And it just, you know, it's just, it sticks out. So the, the whole documentary in Nick's mind and mine when we were, you know, conceiving it is how to make, how to take that category that you just said off, just get rid of that category because it's not true. Our creativity and our artistic drive really does have a purpose. And it's not just revenue and income on, you know, Instagram. It's not. It's a much yeah. bigger reason that we have this d- wired into our DNA.
0: Yeah. And to quote you from the book, you call it a compelling force in your words that I cannot name and the hope. So this is why you're doing it in the hope that the transformative transformative power of creativity as expressed in these pages might influence the way we approach the world and the way we approach each other. It w- it's what connects us and holds us all together. We need it to survive. Mm -hmm. and then you go on to say that creativity can be this force that that shows us that nothing is isolated that we're interconnected Mm -hmm. and and that by embracing that we
1: can embody that interconnection oh i love that word embody and i don't think i used it and i wish i would have used it because it's true we can embody that connection every single time we touch down with something that we're doing that's creative Um, and yes those words still touch me it's really true and so what i'm setting up there in the very beginning as i introduce myself is my heart this is my heart and you know whenever you buy a creativity book cuz i think there's i said something like there's 13,000 available on amazon this was you know 7 years ago when i started the book years ago there was 13,000 books on creativity and my book on creativity is not about how to be creative or how to make money off of your creativity. It's, it's so much more broad, it's so ambitious. I literally try to prove everything I just said, that nothing is isolate, that we are all connected and the, the function of creativity is to connect us. So I take you through this whole, uh, all of the science, you know, science quantum physics, um, psychology, Jungian psychology, um, art, history, all of the things that um, I've pieced together to try and prove that. I'm not just saying, yeah, nothing's connected. And it's not um, religious in any way. It's not Buddhism. It's, it's not, you know, Christianity. It's not, it's not a religion. It's, it's just me pulling all these things together that kind of support the idea that nothing is isolate. So I'm setting that up and then we go through it little by little. And it does bring meaning and um, more significance to whatever you're doing when you understand this and take that w- world view. Sure.
0: Yeah, and then you, you kind of go into different ideas about what creativity is from other thinkers. So for instance, Rand is saying that we're trying to preserve a moment. We're trying to repackage reality. Mm. Um, but you say, no, that's that's not it. That's not enough. Like maybe that's a part of it, right?
1: But It's not, it's not enough because, because for me I'm, and part of my story and maybe yours was that I was so unhappy and I didn't know why because I had everything, I, I, I had good health which is golden and I was married and I had four healthy kids, I, my parents were still alive, his parents were still alive, we had a huge support system, I served non-stop, I, I had service in my life, I had, I had everything. And I was still unhappy. And I was like, what the hell is the matter with me? And why in heaven's name can't I get my shit together and be happy when I when because I wasn't creating other than, you know, creating babies. So I I didn't like that about myself. And so I had to go back to school and study creativity because I knew that my relationship with my own creativity is why I kept wilting and faltering and crying and all of the unhappy things. I knew that. So when I discussed the Ayn Rand idea that we want to repackage reality, and I thought that no, that wouldn't keep me up at night. Right. That it's a beautiful thing to do, but that wouldn't make me as frustrated as I am. This was long before Instagram. That was long before people wanted to put their art in this democratized um, facet. You know, all of the internet and YouTube and where people can just put their art out. This was long before you could do that. Sure. Sure, and I think Instagram is probably
0: pretty clear evidence that repackaging reality is is not leading to some kind of you know satisfaction or satisfying a deep urge in us, right? That I mean, yeah. all of the data
1: implies yeah. otherwise. So, well, and, and we could interview um, both YouTubers and Instafamous Instagram influencers that do put out beautiful work that because because they're putting the work out that their fans want. Mm-hmm. They're doing. They're doing. They're putting the cart before the horse. They're putting out stuff they know what, that will give them, you know, likes and and you know, attention and but be the influencer. Yeah. And at the end, you climb up to the top of that mountain, and you are not fulfilled because you haven't been exploring your internal realm. You're doing everything inverted, kind of trying to get likes and trying to get a platform, and then you get there, and it's not really you. So you're not fulfilled. Sure. So that even that, and we're getting ahead of ourselves, but
0: that. That is also evidence that the creative urge is not to appease or to, to, you know, it doesn't, it's not designed to help us to appease or to please the other, right? It's, it's ah. even pre, pre-social, you might call it. The mm-hmm. urge is pre-social because the, the actual payoff while we do get payoff from social approval the the urge
1: itself is not paid off by the so, social approval exactly exactly well and the interconnectedness of the social the macro and the micro wait till we get there that's right. a, yeah, you just just wait till you get there it's it's, right. it's it's so amazing and so real that you can't argue with it as some you know buddhist philosophy that we are so connected sure. and that creativity um, is what connects us so, yeah. Okay. So one of the ideas to try and be more organized is um, that why are we creative so that we can repackage reality? No, that's not quite it. And then um, what else? Did we get to anymore? Well,
0: so what I have here in my notes is um, your response to Rand and then we go into the proof of creativity with George Land and his NASA experiment and then Ken Robinson.
1: And okay. Charlotte. Yeah. Let's talk about that. Um, I mean... You could figure this out. You could look at your own kid and say he was so much more creative before he went to high school. Oh, you can say for yourself. You used to draw, you used to color, you used to dance, and then all of a sudden you reach your adulthood and you don't color, you don't dance, just those those behaviors you don't do. Well, there's a lot of there's a lot of truth to that. You don't have to read a story or a study. So George George Land in uh, I think it was 1968, he did a study. um, for NASA, and it actually could rate your creative genius, and the outcome was so clear that they decided to take it on the road and do um, a longitudinal study on um, these same kids. And they took whatever a thousand five-year-olds, and 98% of them actually scored as creative geniuses. Right. Yeah. So 98%. Like- and that—that's the fluency, originality, slow to give up, which means no premature closure. um That they. They had, they were able to be flexible. Um, they knew how to elaborate. All of those—that's how they they marked it. That's how they gauged the genius. But then they followed these same kids, and by fifth grade, their scores started declining. And sadly, by the time they were 30 years old, only 12 percent scored at, as t- creative geniuses. So obviously, the conclusion of that study. Um, that's really famous and makes me so sad is that we are all born inherently creative and we learn to be uncreative. So creativity is not learned. Creativity is unlearned by society and, you know, by the things we have. So that's an important study. So anyway.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And to just reiterate those numbers. So this this study by George Land in 1968 surveyed sixteen hundred children.
2: Oh, it was more than
0: 10,000. Yeah, 98% of these five-year-olds scored as creative geniuses. Mm -hmm. And then testing thousands of adults revealed that only 12% were considered creative geniuses at the age of 30. And so you've written here, this is your interpretation, is that it concludes basically that non-creative behavior is what's learned, not creative behavior. Mm -hmm. Or even the study itself
1: concluded that too. Mm -hmm. Um, well, and and there's something in my that is not in my book that has always bothered me, um, and so Sir Ken Robinson, he has a TED talk. <clears throat> he's phenomenal. He's hilarious. He's brilliant. He's a he's a mover and a shaker. He's a thought leader. He he's really like my idol. He has brought creativity. Um, he's you know it's really hard to do anything as big as educational, you know, all of education all across the whole world because I think he's Europe. I think he's from England, uh, from London. I'm not sure. But what they did was they um, they decide they did this whole study and then they wrote up a proposal on how to get creativity uh, as a, a as part of people's curriculum. Imagine how hard that was um, and that their conclusion was that all areas of human activity share creativity potential all areas of human activity share creativity potential that's what they found so. There, for a long time, because I study creativity as a study, like as a field, it's not a field right now, but if I, you know, if I had some time on my hands, I did propose a class for, you know, community college, so that there would be a class, creativity, next to geology, next to, you know, uh, I don't know, uh, psychology 101. Um, because I think it's that important, but um, it is a field and it's it's not, um, it's not that saturated. So, um, as a field, the, there's the big famous guy named Mahaly, Csikszentmihalyi, Mahaly Csikszentmihalyi, um from the Claremont College. He's a huge psychologist and he has been saying, and I love him too, but I disagree wholeheartedly with this, that creativity has to be a certain thing to be considered creativity. But here I found that George Land and Sir Ken Robinson and even Dr. Leonard Schlein, all three of those thought leaders, do not agree with that. So right. not that he's ever going to go back on what he wrote in "It's Called Creativity Flow," biggest yeah. book on creativity in our time. He'll never go back on that. But um, it's absolutely untrue. And I'm just nobody, you know. I'm just a singing teacher who's a you know an academic kind of scholar writer. He's he's huge in the field, but he's dead wrong. Yeah,
0: he's definitely like the leader in the field and his studies go back to the 70s. And he's the author of flow, among other things. And so what, what he's really talking about to me is flow state that does have particular parameters where you, you know, there's this suspension of time, there's this loss of the self. Um, And so, you know, for instance, he wouldn't he wouldn't call like being in an art class where you're conscious, like you're very aware of the creation. You're asking questions of your teacher. He wouldn't call that in and of itself creativity. Right. Mm -hmm. So, so I I definitely see
1: those two things as very separate, but Um, you and I would consider just asking the question and having that curiosity. It's a bedfellow to creativity is just that curiosity and learning itself. It just starts the creativity and grows new dendrites in our brain. So anyway, I don't want to get off on that, but. um, But but
0: We're talking about, because like, I think it's good to define our premise of what creativity is and isn't, because I think what we're, to me, creativity is living, (laughs)
1: Without, <laughs> the
0: life force itself it's creativity. Yes. so you can't you know i've said this before but we can't get up and take a shit in the morning without being creative every everything <laughs> that we do is <laughs> creative. it's <laughs> just not the same definition right yeah. Not yeah talking about flow state we're just talking about being a living breathing entity on this fucking amazing planet you know what i mean mm-hmm. yeah um, so anyway i digress but
1: um let's let's talk a little bit about leonard Schlein. So um, I think you and I have talked about this in the past on our uh, um, live streams, uh, Instagram lives. So Dr. Leonard Schlain, um, actually, he changed my life. I got to see him live before he died. He was at the college doing lectures on the Alphabet and the Goddess, um, where he talks about once we learn language um, that our left brain um, takes over and our right brain takes a back seat. And our right brain is our emotional kind of creative um, nurturing more feminine all of those things and so a child who's three uses their imagination they have imaginary friends you know all of that and then once you start learning to read your left brain does take over and then you have to get to school on time so you have sequence and then you know you have to analyze things and get good grades and behave and your right brain kind of takes a back seat so that's from a brain surgeon um, that's from his experience and even though a lot of brain science now is trying to um dispute or debunk the left brain right brain thing there's a whole school of people say no 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 that's not it anymore but um from his own you know experience living and even um Jill Bolte Jill Bolte Taylor who also has a TED Talk um talks about the right brain and the left brain and she actually holds them in her te- in her TED Talk she holds one two and then she puts them together and she talks about the differentiation so just our right brain alone is enough to prove that we have creativity um alive uh in us to in order to create a way to expel our waste and take a shit um it, it could take our it's probably instinct and it's our right it's our right brain that controls that i just made that up but i bet i'm right
0: yeah and i think i love it, what you're saying because i think sometimes especially especially in science or, or in, you know, the the extremes that society likes to swing to is like, oh, now it's this right brain, left brain thing. And then it's like, no, that doesn't exist. You know, and we like to just go to the extremes and swing yes. it. But whether or not that's literally true, that metaphor is so useful mm-hmm. for, you know, the, the rational mind versus the kind of creative, chaotic, um almost like mystical or or ecstatic minds like mystical mythic mystical all of that yeah yeah and so you know in in energy medicine and in um subtle subtle energetics like in yoga and everything we have the ida and the pingala nadi um and then we have the, the central channel the pingala nadi is on the right right side that's the masculine let's say channel or the left left brain channel and then the uh ida nadi is the the right brain channel or the feminine or lunar channel Uh and their interaction uh is is basically what dictates you know balance or imbalance in our lives Uh, you know mm -hmm. that that metaphor is so juicy yeah able to describe human behavior and human experience, you know, mm-hmm. whether or not it's literally true that, mm-hmm. you know,
1: this brain does this and this brain does that. And, you know, obviously you can find- I like it. I like that, that it's still helpful. My voice therapist used to say that because singing teachers make shit up. Um, you know, they just make stuff like a, that you've got scarves floating and I'm pulling them out of you totally. or whatever. And, you know, she would always just tell me Renee, it doesn't because she was the scientist and, you know, between us, she said, yeah. it doesn't have to be literally true to make it work. Anything can work to help us wrap our mind around something and grasp something as teachers. It's That's exactly right. what you just said. And she's yes. like she's my wise sage, Joanna Caston. What is okay.
0: life about creative license, right?
1: Right, right. And so I like that. And it's okay that science um, wants to shift because obviously we're all thinking not all, but you know, people are now saying that the world is flat, so we're going we're going in circles, right? Right. <laughs> yeah.
2: Totally. Forge- forget forget.
1: Yeah, so um, let's just recap because I do want to find something that you can do a practicum or a praxis for us in the meditation. Or- yeah, I, honestly,
0: I don't. I don't feel like we need to we don't have to like grab it out of there either, you know I think okay. Might
1: okay. Um,
0: but I did want to touch on what Schlaine talked about, okay. um, which was the, his, the conclusions of talking about the right brain and the left brain and how we've kind of moved away from imagery. Um, which this was a really surprising conclusion to me because, you know, as a mother of a 10 year old, I've been stressing myself out for 10 years, (laughs) trying to figure out how to get him off of screens and video games. But interestingly, Shlaine is kind of celebrating this transition to, to screens because it's sort of, um, heralding the return of imagery. Yes. Communicating in that way. Yes. Yes. Do you wanna talk about
1: that a bit? Yeah, you're exactly right. So um, he thinks that because images, because obviously images took a backseat to learning to read and those are, um, you know, you're decoding letters and uh, you're decoding whatever, um, Anyway, your your left brain has to decode all that, but an image is an immediate. What's the first thing that you see? Your mother's breast or a bottle. And so whether you know it or not, this isn't all in the book, but this is um, this is very psycho bio. Um, whether you know it or not, when you see a bottle now um, or a breast or whatever, you do have an emotional uh, reaction. You just don't know it. Every thought has an emotional component. It's It just... We don't want to think that way, but they do. Every thought. So what he was saying is, once you um, start doing like the right the the mouse with your right hand, um, and then the typing with your left hand, the crossfire gets better in your brain, and we become more image based, and that's all feminine, and that's all um, non aggressive, and that's all peacemaking peace, un- unfolding, all those creativity things. You wait for things to unfold. You nurture. You cultivate. So it's cultivating your right brain. So he believes it's what's going to save society, this image-based culture. And some, we have talked about this before, but I'll just throw it in here. Jordan, mm, I forgot his last name just right now, has the book The, um, the New Childhood. And I, you've got to read it. You've got to read it. It's all about stop being so afraid of your children being on the screen. Yeah. It's just lovely and he proves it all. Children were not allowed to play at one point in life.
0: Yeah, totally. And that that is to my point of, you know, when my son for instance went on to online school and he's in second grade, he's and he's doing like the most linear most dry left brain stuff online you know like whatever these sheets are worksheets it's like well the screen's got to be better than like the the games and the playing yeah. and stories and images have to be better than that right yeah. the, no child
1: yeah. was ever designed it's just so clear right yeah. like it's right. A square page. right one day if we all if we're gonna go all education like right now covid has made every poor you know poor little kids poor college students anybody that so we're definitely exploring more of of the screen educational, you know, with images that's not so dry. How do we engage? And teachers know that you have to engage with an emotional relevance as well. So um, when you teach to the test, you're not doing that. You're not making it relevant. You're making the test, you know, all about the test. Exactly, exactly. So- yeah,
0: so Schlein kind of sums that all up by saying, through technology, we're now returning to a more image-based culture which points to a more holistic development of children and in
1: turn societies at large. And I really hope that's true. So. I'm such a better writer than I am to speaker. I'm blah, 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 blah. No, you're <laughs> That fine. was really I well know. put. I, I love the text box because with all the research just to just sum it all up. Um, and I'm so happy to read about hope once in a while instead of doomsday. I He was, yeah, a, yeah. Yeah. He was definitely yeah, utop- yeah. more utopian minded instead of dystopian and he he just yeah. I, I wish more people knew about Dr. Leonard Schlein.
0: Well, hopefully they will because of this. Yeah.
1: Um so
0: then so you move on to making the statement that creative creativity is ever present. So what you actually say is creativity is an actual phenomenon that functions with or without our responses to it.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Like nature herself. Right. Right. Mm-hmm. So it's like the flower doesn't have to try to grow or doesn't, you know, you don't criticize the flower for growing. You don't call them a narcissist or, mm-hmm. you know, um, a hack <laughs> yeah. or, or a God, right? Um, right. That's
1: perfect. Yeah. yeah.
0: Yeah. And that to me, that's uh, absolutely creative. The only difference it's not conscious creativity and that's the gift of being a
1: human being. And that is, a, that's definitely a gift. And that is where true art comes in. If we're talking about art and not selling out when you are, lost in your unconscious and you're not writing or creating for the audience, that's when you will find atonement at one mint. Right. And whether you ever make a penny off of it or not. And that's what will feed you and that's what will help you grow individually. And if society was full of those individuals that were growing and being fed, we would probably have a lot less turmoil.
0: Yeah. On the absolutely. macro. Absolutely. But the caveat to that, kind of the double-edged sword of conscious creation is that we have the um, potential downfall of the subject-object distinction, which, I'm not sure if it originates with Nietzsche, this idea of the subject object distinction. I think Nietzsche was the first person to put it in those terms, but definitely Richard Tarnas talks about this in in his book, uh, The Passion of the Western Mind. Mm -hmm. Um, And a lot of thinkers have picked up this, this idea that as soon as you start, as soon as you become conscious and aware of yourself as the actor, you separate yourself from the action from the creation yeah. and yeah. as well as you know the critic what we would call the critic is able to come in and start you know judging it good yes. or bad or whatever whereas the flower is not going to have that experience, yes. flower yes. doesn't that. experience yeah. itself as i am the flower i am growing right mm-hmm.
1: um or yeah. a child or a child under four five six whatever
2: exactly.
1: but, um, yeah and and you know not all of this is this heady you know philosophical um Stuff really and truly, it is. It's really about you as an individual trying to get in touch with your inner world, and because of you and I thinking creativity and researching it, we make it all about all that other stuff. But really, it's just your deeper self. It's it's exactly. it's just that, exactly. like you said. It's living. It's it's the power that lives in you. The, and it does exist, whether we're aware of it or not. It, it's going to function in your life. I wasn't aware of it when I would have, you know, bouts with whatever sadness that I wasn't creating. I didn't realize the pattern until I was at least twenty-eight. Oh, yes. I haven't written a poem in a while. I'm, I'm, I feel lousy. Oh, it took me a long time to realize that. Right, and the
0: the really important thing to remember about that is not oh, I haven't produced something in a while, right? It's not about the, the product that comes out of it, but I haven't, I haven't been so immersed with life that I was moved to create.
1: Yeah, and you, or just you get lost in that moment. Um, and you know, we gotta stop, but flow state is about that. That's why artists supposedly are able to con, uh, fall into that because they're doing their craft, but uh, uh, they fall into the flow state, but you know, a, um, a bartender can too. You can fall into a flow state and lower your blood pressure, even with all the stress around the bar. If you're doing the thing you're trained to do and you let it flow through you and all that energy and you enjoy your work, it's going to make your life better and you're going to be fed because it's what you love. It's not a duty. It's not an obligation. Yeah, you're getting paid. It's your job, but you love it.
0: Totally. Totally. Yeah, and, you know, in your book you talk about the story um, or, or your own experience of seeing all these uh like american idol type shows and all these you know the singer and why people are so enamored with the singer um because even as a non-musician you can relate to that instrument the human voice and the yeah. desire to express and so mm-hmm. it's almost like this voyeuristic yes. um, experience right oh yeah um, that you know where they are up there on the stage touching our shared drive to express and create And yes, yes. to them, you say, Mm -hmm. um, in your terms, because we're not following that drive in our own lives Mm -hmm. for the
1: most part. Well, Um, it's the function of the artist to feel all the feelings and make their living from it so that we have someone else to go, oh, that's what I'm feeling. It helps us. It's it's cathartic. it's yes, our, yes. I mean that's
0: what therapy is, right? Um yes. Yeah. So and that's why I always joke with my singing teacher, my current singing teacher, and of course, obviously you were my therapist, like, look what we're doing now. <laughs> my current singing teacher, I'm like, This is my therapy. You should just, you know, if you called this singing
1: therapy, you could charge like three times the price for it, you know? But yeah, yeah. She does it because yeah. she loves it. So and, and that's the whole flow state and, and breathing and doing something you love and interacting with your inner self. Um which obviously meditation does that too. So
2: um,
1: carving out the time for it and and we're putting all these labels on it, but um, I can't tell you how happy I am um, to revisit uh, with you and your perspective as well. So thank you.
0: Yeah, me too. Um, and with that, I think that's a perfect transition time. Um, so we will end with... Uh, an experiential exercise, let's call it. Um, you could call it a meditation. If meditation freaks you out, don't call it that. It's really just a, kind of getting into our into ourselves. So we we talked a little bit about flow state, and we talked about you know what it means to be in a creative state. And I'm not saying at all that you know what we're about to do is a guarantee to get you there or anything. Um, but it is it is a way to kind of just sink into into being, which which is the, uh, what I might say is like the merging of the creative actor with the created, right? With reality itself. Getting heady there again, but anyway, let's go ahead and just sit in a comfortable position. I'm just doing okay, Okay. Yes. Just relax the body. Feel the feet firmly on the ground if you can. And then, though the body is relaxed, let's have an erect spine so that keeps us alert and engaged. And then, everything else relaxed. So, I like to squeeze my shoulders up to my ears and then drop them and just feel completely released and relaxed. Start to turn the attention to the breath. Moving in and out of the body. Feel the sensations in the body. Maybe feel the temperature of the body. Is it hot or cold? Are there any areas of tension or tingling
3: or
2: softness? And without judgment, just becoming aware of that. And Using the breath as your anchor. So the attention may wander, but you can always
0: bring it back to the breath. Letting the attention rest on the inhale and exhale.
2: Just like as if you were floating in a little boat, and feeling the waves bob the boat up and down. Let the breath do that for you. As you continue to become aware of the sensations, the actual feelings in the body,
0: what you sense in the body, also become aware of all the unconscious processes in the body. Even the breathing itself,
2: you don't have to think about it. It's just constantly happening all the time. With that breath, you're constantly circulating oxygen throughout the entire body from head to toe to every cell There isn't a space or a structure or an organ in the body that isn't touched by the breath. The cells in the body are constantly dividing, procreating, and also letting go, detoxing, sending waste materials out, All of these processes are constantly happening, constant aliveness and activity, vivaciousness. This is the ecosystem of the body. And all of this is happening without any effort, any direction, any decision-making from you. It's all the design of some other force, some other intelligence that isn't the conscious mind. That isn't the egoic self, but is still a part of you, something from which you are not separate.
3: And these processes are happening no matter what.
2: And of course, there are limitations, and there are ways we can encourage them or discourage them, but they are the basic premise of life, and these processes are always sustaining life and sustaining your life, something we all share in common. All this inner aliveness never judges itself, it never keeps score. It simply acts in response to innate impulse, some inherent drive to life, the inherent drive to thrive, to connect, to express, to explore, to interact with the world in your environment, other entities.
3: and as well as the ability to look within yourself and to ask who is the one who is looking
2: Simply continue to be with that, letting the attention rest on the breath. Sorry. So allowing yourself to continue to tune in to that experience of the self as a part of this greater process of life. And then as you're ready, start to be to become aware of yourself in the room. Become aware of the space around you. Become aware of the sounds around you. The sensation of your body against your chair or your seat. And then start to wiggle the fingers and the toes. You can move the hands along the thighs or the arms. Starting to bring sensation into the body.
0: Then coming fully back to yourself and to
1: the space. (laughs) Thank you. You're amazing that you could focus. (laughs) But I love the whole idea of the breath being the small minute part of the greater life. I just love the the spin on things that I've never heard. I've heard my my, um, teacher told me that breath is available for everyone and there's enough to go around and never to worry about sharing because there's so much and so, that kind of reminded me of it i loved it thank you so much and your shirt said inhale
0: it does yeah i did not plan that but um, i know
1: i I just noticed it when we came back so thank you thank you for the practicum yeah and have a good rest of your night
0: all right thank you bye
2: it says exhale below it
1: oh i missed that noah all right bye